Hey folks, have you heard of cancer-fighting foods? The American Cancer Society discovered diets rich in fruits and vegetables may actually lower your risk of cancer. Think about that for a second. That's really important. Hopefully, you hear this and run to the store for five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. But if you're like me, you probably don't have the time to do that, right? So maybe you should consider adding Field of Greens to your daily health regimen. Each fruit and veggie in Field of Greens was doctor-selected for studied health benefits. There's a heart health group, lungs, kidneys, and metabolism groups, even healthy weight. What your body needs is in each scoop of delicious Field of Greens. I take it every day. Sometimes I put it in a shake. Sometimes I put it in my egg white omelet in the morning. Field of Greens can help prevent, treat, and cure cancer? No, but it can powerfully help you audit your next checkup. Your doctor will notice your improved health or you're going to get your money back. Here's the most amazing thing about it. I started using Field of Greens a year ago. My cholesterol is down. My blood sugar is down. My weight's down. My health is up. My sleeping patterns are better. My metabolism is up. If you want to experience what I've experienced, go check out Field of Greens. Jump into the ring here. You're going to get an enormous benefit. And it's so simple. Single scoop, a couple of seconds, healthy lifestyle all day long. Now, thanks to our good friends at Brickhouse Nutrition, Field of Greens is going to give you a 15% off discount plus free rush shipping. All you got to do is go to fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS for your discount. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Fieldofgreens.com, promo code JUSTNEWS. Go check it out. Hello, America, and happy Wednesday, happy day after the State of the Union, or happy first day of the first of many Twitter Day hearings in Congress. That's right. That skews up our show pretty perfectly today. We've got an all-star cast. We're going to start with former National Security Advisor, former UN Ambassador John Bolton, to give us the very latest about what we're learning in the China balloon scandal, what President Biden said last night at the State of the Union about his toughness on China. A lot of people are not buying that, given what they saw the last week, a week-long delay in shooting down this balloon. And so far, not a very big pushback on China. So John Bolton's going to start us off today. Then we're going to go up to Capitol Hill, where there's an extraordinary hearing on the Twitter censorship. Three former executives of Twitter on the box, James Comer, Uh, Jim Jordan, others asking hard questions of them. Some pretty amazing moments in the course of this hearing. One of them, a Twitter executive being confronted with his own tweet that he considered Trump White House officials to be Nazis. Admitted he did it, said he regretted it. Another one where the conversation drifted towards Hunter Biden and Twitter acknowledged it. The former executives, we made a mistake. We shouldn't have censored the Hunter Biden story. And then the opening of the hearing, which, by the way, it hasn't been really nailed down in the course of the hearing yet that I've seen. But in the opening of the hearing, pretty extraordinary exchange in which the chairman, James Comer, said the efforts to suppress stories about Hunter Biden and Joe Biden began even before the laptop. That's a big allegation. We're going to see where the evidence comes for that. But that's a big one as well. So Nick Balassi, our congressional correspondent, he worked last night on the State of the Union. He went right to the Hill this morning covering this Twitter hearing today. He's going to bring us up to speed on that. And then we're going to wrap up with a really extraordinary moment from the State of the Union last night. Joe Biden went off script and basically said, "Uh, we only need oil for another 10 years. Now, nobody believes that both 
Democrats and Republicans laughed at. The president got laughed at for making such a claim, though he was very serious about it. He seemed to be surprised that people thought it was a foolish thing to say. Well, we've got the perfect person to address that. He's the current president of the U.S. Oil and Gas Association, Tim Stewart. He's got a lot to say about that. He also wants to talk, and I, I want to talk to him about the efforts to ban gas stoves in America that some Biden administration officials started. And that hasn't gone away, even though people say it's off the table. It's not really off the table. We're going to get the latest from Tim Stewart on that. And then we are going to ask him about his experience. Get a load of this. The head of the U.S. Oil and Gas Association bought a electric vehicle. It didn't go well for Tim Stewart. He's going to tell us why. And again, I think electric vehicles are great. But his personal experience, I think, exposes one of the problems with the Biden clean energy plan right now, which is we're pushing out solutions that aren't yet fully matured in the marketplace, meaning there aren't the assets available, charging stations, even charging units. The folly of things that happened to poor Tim Stewart on the first few weeks of his ownership of this brand new spanking new electric vehicle is a story really worth telling, and he's going to give us that as well. So we'll get a little State of the Union, a little Twitter censorship, and a little bit of China threat in America on a really great show, Tim. So grateful you can join. We're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, John Bolton, the former National Security Advisor to Donald Trump and former UN Ambassador, he's in the house, and we're going to get the very latest on China right after this. Hey, folks, have you heard of cancer-fighting foods? The American Cancer Society discovered diets rich in fruits and vegetables may actually lower your risk of cancer. Think about that for a second. That's really important. Hopefully, you hear this and run to the store for five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. But if you're like me, you probably don't have the time to do that, right? So maybe you should consider adding Field of Greens to your daily health regimen. Each fruit and veggie in Field of Greens was doctor-selected for studied health benefits. There's a heart health group, lungs, kidneys, and metabolism groups, even healthy weight. What your body needs is in each scoop of delicious Field of Greens. I take it every day. Sometimes I put it in a shake. Sometimes I put it in my egg white omelet in the morning. Field of Greens can help prevent, treat, and cure cancer? No, but it can powerfully help you out at your next checkup. Your doctor will notice your improved health or you're going to get your money back. Here's the most amazing thing about it. I started using Field of Greens a year ago. My cholesterol is down. My blood sugar is down. My weight's down. My health is up. My sleeping patterns are better. My metabolism is up. If you want to experience what I've experienced, go check out Field of Greens. Jump into the ring here. You're going to get an enormous benefit. And it's so simple. Single scoop, a couple of seconds, healthy lifestyle all day long. Now, thanks to our good friends at Brickhouse Nutrition, Field of Greens is going to give you a 15% off discount plus free rush shipping. All you got to do is go to fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS for your discount. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Fieldofgreens.com, promo code JUSTNEWS. Go check it out. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. 
All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. We've been talking about the long and short-term implications of the China balloon event over the last couple of weeks. We learned a lot in the last 24, 48 hours from the Pentagon. What the Pentagon says, NORAD's failure to detect the earlier incursions by these balloons, that's the current story. Well, I thought we'd bring in somebody that really is recognized as one of the greatest national security experts in our country. He's the former United Nations ambassador, former national security advisor to President Trump. He is Ambassador John Bolton. He joins us right now. Mr. Ambassador, welcome back to the show. Great to be with you. Thanks for having me. Interesting topic. It sure is. We're at a remarkable moment in history, I think. On the street, people have stopped me the last couple of days, and they all want to know, hey, what's up with this China balloon thing? What is your latest assessment? You've seen the, the shifting stories from the Biden administration. The current version of the story is there might have been earlier incursions under both Trump and Biden, but NORAD failed to detect them until they went back after this episode. Uh, does that seem plausible to you? Well, you know, I think they've had so many stories, it's hard to keep them straight. And I, I don't mean to <laughs> split hairs here, but the fact is, uh, because they have records of uh, of episodes they didn't interpret correctly, they did detect the balloons. Apparently, they thought they were uh, weather phenomena or something like that. They detected something, but their assessment was wrong. So, look, we can always improve our technology. This is a good reminder of that. We can always improve our human assessments. That's a good reminder of that. Uh, but I think uh, the, what troubles me the most now, looking back over the past week or 10 days, is the failure of senior Pentagon and, I believe, administration civilian officials to see this as uh, evidence of further uh, efforts by the Chinese either to intimidate us or to gain advantage over us. And I put a lot of responsibility on the commander of NORAD, who I think made a number of blunders from the outset. And I think what it should tell us, we should at least have a debate over this, but what our policy ought to be is when you see an unidentified object heading toward American territory, won't identify itself, won't respond, you should treat it with suspicion from the outset. Now, I'm not saying you shoot it down immediately, but you don't say, oh, well, it just looks like a weather balloon. It doesn't seem to have any hostile intent, and therefore we're going to let it proceed. I think that's 180 degrees the wrong way to do it. Yeah, and what's remarkable about this is that there is open source intelligence that we've all known about that's uh, even been introduced at congressional hearings that China has, on several occasions, contemplated and tested using these weather balloons for things like delivering weapons of mass destruction or a hypersonic missile launch. So we know that China wanted to use this kind of old technology as a way of maybe secreting in new weaponry. Shouldn't that even have given us a higher degree of alarm and, and preparedness? Absolutely. Again, to come back to what the NORAD commander said, he said the balloon didn't demonstrate hostile intent. Well, what do you expect to have painted on the balloon that it's carrying nuclear <laughs> weapons? Did, did we have sensors that affirmatively demonstrated a lack of radioactivity from the three bus size payload the balloon was carrying? Were we able to sense there were no biological or chemical weapons on board? Uh, and, and when the commander of NORAD said he didn't see any any military uh, objections did, did anybody ask well what about intelligence problems that that kind of balloon might show you know one of the things that uh, we did in the trump administration I, I will take credit for starting the process but we after i left the u.s withdrew from the open skies treaty with russia 
which permitted overflights in certain circumstances. But we found the Russians had been abusing their so-called rights under open skies, and we terminated it. So now uh, there's no permission for Russian planes or objects to come into our territory without our permission. We don't even have that kind of treaty and never have with the Chinese. Uh, And and that's an example, I think, of taking uh, seriously intrusions into our airspace. Yeah, it's such an amazing mindset of the Biden administration. And there was a moment last night in the State of the Union that I think caught a lot of people's attention because Joe Biden went out and said, I'm really tough on China. You got to trust me, I'm tough on China. This is a man that looked into the camera in 2019 and said, they're not bad people. They're not our competition. And another time he said, they're not the enemy. Do Americans look back and do they have enough of a memory to remember that this guy was an apologist for China? before he bumbled this last episode in the last week. Yeah, no, I I certainly hope so. It's one reason why I think national security should be a much more significant issue in 2024 than it has been uh, in some recent elections. I think the Biden administration has been blinded by the climate change issue with China. They're so John Kerry and others are so determined to negotiate climate deals with China. They haven't wanted to do anything that was offensive. But let me give you another example of of Chinese duplicity here. You know, uh, the Pentagon said uh, several times the balloon was transmitting, which means Beijing almost certainly knew where the balloon was at all times. And if if it were if it were really a weather balloon, they could have called us well before it got to the Aleutian Islands and said, look, we've lost we've lost a weather balloon. We think it's heading your way. Uh, according to our tracking, we just want to let you know it's not hostile. It's a mistake. We apologize. Now, I wouldn't necessarily have believed them, but it would have been a sign that that uh, they were trying to uh, avoid adverse consequences. They didn't do anything until it became public. We knew the balloon was up there. I think that is substantial evidence uh, that they wanted to see if they could make it across the country without without any adverse consequences at all. That shows the illegitimate intent. Last question, because I know how busy you are, but I want to ask you about this. The fact that Joe Biden didn't get told for three days and then waits a week to even shut it down until public pressure kind of forces him into it. What message does that send to China? And if you're advising the president, what message would you send to China? Now, how would you recommend that we react to this so that China gets the right message from us? Well, I, I just found it stunning that three days went by before Biden was notified. In my experience, I, I just I couldn't I couldn't even begin to explain how that could have happened. Uh, and I do think that the administration's reaction uh, to to what to do uh, was just completely uh, uh, misapplied. I mean, they should have said, is there a way to bring that balloon down uh, more slowly than firing a Sidewinder missile into it. I'm I'm fully on board with protecting innocent Americans below the balloon. But, you know, it could have malfunctioned at any point uh, and caused damage. Uh, and was there no place in between the Aleutian Islands and Alaska or over Alaska itself where we could minimize that risk uh, and try and capture the balloon as we used to uh, capture film cartridges from space when our Satellites would take pictures on photographic film and we had to retrieve them. I mean, the Pentagon's a very creative place. Was there no other step we could have taken other than waiting for it to get over the Atlantic Ocean and hit it with a missile? I, I believe there were. I don't understand why they were not uh, not tried. 
Yeah, it is a head scratcher. What should we do to China for this? What's the right step to send the message? You can't do this. You can't interfere in our sovereign airspace. Well, look, I think uh, one thing that gets Chinese attentions is uh, uh, to impose tariffs on them. So how about how about a tariff on uh, goods dealing with uh, aerospace technology and just uh, whip whip a 50 percent tariff on them or prohibit them from entering the United States until they get the message? That's the sort of solution Americans are looking for. They didn't get it from President Biden last night, but they sure got it from you today. Mr. Ambassador, what a great honor to have you on the show. We love having you on. Look forward to when you make your decision on joining the presidential race. We're going to be following that very closely. Well, thanks. Thanks very much. Always enjoy being on. All right, folks, don't go anywhere. Breaking news from Capitol Hill with Nick Balassi, our congressional correspondent, right after this. All right, folks, as we draw near to another critical election, it's not only about casting your vote, it's about elevating your voice, making your voice be heard. AMAC is more than just a senior discount organization. They unite like-minded patriots like you and I, committed to preserving our cherished values and actively opposing the leftist agenda that's sweeping across America. Just look at their recent victories. AMAC members helped to push forward an investigation into practices that inflate drug prices. They successfully defeated ranked choice voting in order to protect traditional voting methods, and they've also helped block a federal takeover of elections. As AMAC's membership grows, Washington is listening. Every new member strengthens this movement. If you love America, visit AMAC, A-M-A-C dot U-S slash Just News to become a four-year member for just $30. That's a great discount. AMAC is not only better for America, it's better for you. Membership gives you access to the AMAC magazine, free Social Security and Medicare guidance, money-saving discounts, trusted news, sweepstakes, and so much more. It's a community, not a service. Take advantage of our election year sale, four years for just $30 at AMAC. By joining over 2 million Americans, they can't ignore your voice in Washington anymore. Join now at AMAC, AMAC.us slash Just News. That's AMAC.us forward slash Just News. Hey, folks, if you're a homeowner and you're like me, you want to protect your home, right? But when's the last time you checked on the title to your home? If you never have, listen to this. A new report on homeowners shows we all now have $16 trillion in equity. That's an all-time high in America. That's why you need protection from a scam the FBI calls house stealing. That's when the equity in all of our homes is the target, sadly, of scammers. If nobody's watching the title to your home, these scammers can transfer your title to their name, take out loans, and your equity could be gone. Poof, gone. You have to protect your equity from this despicable crime right now with triple lock protection from my good friends at HomeTitleLock.com. The first step is to check on your home's title to see if it's still in your name. Sign up with your address at HomeTitleLock.com and be sure to use the promo code JUSTNEWS. They're going to send you a complete title scan of your home's title and your first 30 days of triple lock home title protection. That's legendary protection, by the way. It's free. HomeTitleLock.com. Use the promo code JUSTNEWS. One more time, go to HomeTitleLock.com today and protect your most important asset, the equity in your home. All right, folks, welcome back for the commercial break. Like we said at the top of the show, a major hearing going on in the House of Government Oversight and Accountability Committee today. That's the one chaired by James Comer. The first of two that are going to delve into Twitter censorship. Three major former figures of Twitter on the box being questioned. Pretty extraordinary revelations about what went on 
in censorship, what the federal government's encouragement or direct involvement was, and where it stands right now, because it's still going on today. Well, we had one of our best at the hearing all day today. Nick Ballasi, our incredible congressional correspondent, he's been covering this hearing stem to stern, and he's going to bring us live from the committee room up to date on what's been going on today. Nick, welcome. I know it's been a busy day because you did State of the Union last night. Now this big hearing today. What's the headlines coming out of this hearing today? What did the witnesses tell us that broke new ground? Yeah, it has been very busy. Lots of news to cover. Uh, so with this uh, oversight hearing, uh, specifically, we're hearing from former Twitter executives who were at the company when the New York Post Hunter Biden laptop story was censored on the platform. And they really are taking us you know, behind the scenes in terms of how the decision-making process went forth and what their role was in it. I would say you know, the key takeaways were Uh, The execs, two of them flat out acknowledging that mistakes were made and that it shouldn't have been censored. Uh, They've also talked about how it's commonplace for government agencies, the federal government specifically, to reach out to big tech about certain content on their platforms and, you know, make inquiries. Uh, So the lawmakers on the panel are really trying to dig into that and find out if exactly the Hunter Biden story specifically with the laptop was one of the stories where certain agencies specifically reached out and tried to get it censored. That part they're kind of waffling on. They don't uh, seem to be wanting to get into the specifics specifics there, but uh, it is really eye-opening though to find out things like one of the questioning uh, lines of questioning I found fascinating was the bias on the platform one of the members really pressed some of the Twitter Twitter execs and said, you know, what were these tags that you put on some conservatives' accounts? They had Charlie Kirk up there and Dan Bongino tweets and said, you know, look at these tags. Some dealt with blacklist. Other terms dealt with uh, content filtering. And they acknowledged that there are decisions made on the platform behind the scenes to tag certain accounts and suppress how they're viewed on the platform. So they don't call it shadow banning officially at Twitter, at least according to these execs, but they do put these tags on these accounts and they're admitting that, you know, they don't want them to be officially recommended tweets in some cases for the audience on Twitter for the users to see. Uh, So the end, they also admitted the user themselves are not notified that their accounts have these tags in there. So they are filtering content. I thought that was another big takeaway uh, from the hearing. Now, at the opening of the hearing, James Comer said that the efforts to suppress stories that might be negative about Hunter Biden or Joe Biden predated the laptop. Has any testimony or any further explanation come out about what that was? When, When did it start? What type of stories might have been censored before the laptop? They're trying to hammer that down, several members. I haven't heard the, the Twitter execs talk specifically about case, you know, cases where uh, it happened actually before the laptop. Mainly they're talking about you know, what they do and how they you know, filter content and how the process plays out and how users aren't really you know, notified if that content is filtered. You're only really notified if you're banned or something is censored. But the the panel, especially Jim Jordan, he's really trying to dig into the timeline and he's also trying to find out, you know, who at Twitter specifically 
made the decision to not only suppress the Hunter Biden story, but suppress similar pieces that could have had pieces of news that could have had an effect on the outcome of the 2020 election. And I think it's pretty clear, though, that uh, these policies that they had in place really did uh, change what users see on the platform, which is a huge issue when it comes to uh, an election. You know, what looks what might look like some sort of content that they want to filter, it may not even be based in fact. Sometimes you need some time to verify things and vet things. And I mean, this was just as we've known for a while now, John, with the Hunter Biden story, specifically with the laptop, was a knee-jerk reaction. And uh, they they are acknowledging that they made mistakes, uh, clearly. And uh, what I really want to know is how this is changing under Elon Musk. I think that's going to be part two or three, right, of this series of interviews of how they're changing these policies behind the scenes to avoid something like this happening again especially during an election year. Nancy Mace had an interesting moment where she really took on one of the Twitter executives over the censorship of COVID stuff saying, who have you had a medical degree? What medical expertise did you have to be making these decisions? Didn't get a very satisfying answer, but it seemed like one of those great dramatic moments in the hearing. Was that one of the highlights today? I think it was for sure, John. And it's clear that the CDC would fall under that definition of a federal agency that reaches out to the platform and in this case, Twitter and says, you know, this is inaccurate information or this is wrong. Um, One thing that sticks out is all the information that was spreading about uh, the vaccine. And then we found out that, you know, you can get COVID even if you're vaccinated and transfer it to somebody else. For a long time, they were censoring things like that because they thought it was discouraging people uh, from getting the vaccine. Uh, So, the CDC is clearly one of these agencies that was reaching out during the pandemic and trying to, you know, meddle with some of the content on the platform. And while some of these witnesses today don't necessarily want to elaborate on specific cases, one of the uh, the, the counsel, uh, the general, former general counsel was saying, I don't recall a couple times about specific cases, but it's clear that this is, you know, a commonplace for agencies to get involved with the content and big tech is uh, is playing ball, but to what extent I think will remains to be seen in the, in the next few hearings. And, and of course, this hearing is still going on. Oh yeah. Who knows where it'll end. There was a great moment where the chairman, James Comer had Yoel Roth, the compliance officer on the box and confronted him with his own tweet in which he wrote, he had written, and this was another theme, which is a lot of the Twitter executives that made these decisions had clear political biases against conservatives. And he confronted Yoel Roth and said, did you make this tweet? And the tweet goes, yes, that person in the pink hat is clearly a bigger threat to your brand of feminism than actual Nazis in the White House. He was referring to the Trump White House, that there were Nazis in the Trump White House. Comer said, did you give that tweet? And Yoel Roth said, I did. I regret the language that I used in some of my former tweets, but yes, I did post that. Mr. Roth, do you think all conservatives are Nazi? Comer followed up, and Roth answered, certainly not, sir. I thought that was a dramatic moment to kind of draw out the type of people that walk in Silicon Valley and were in these Twitter censorship decision-making moments. Do you think people watching the hearing from afar got the sense that bias was involved in some of the driving of decisions? I think so, and that it was one of the moments where I think people got to see that clearly their own words, uh, in this case, Roth, and, uh, you know, him even admitting 
uh, that that was wrong to say such things, I think was eye-opening. And, and when you look, especially when you look at the fact that he was involved in the decision-making of the Hunter Biden laptop story. Now, he says he was advocating behind the scenes uh, to not pull that story and not uh, suppress it on the platform, but he was overruled by the higher-ups. Uh, but still, the fact that someone like that is involved in content management and decisions or was at Twitter and had those kind of views and was tweeting out these things is pretty remarkable. And also something else I thought that stood out was some of these regimes like Iran, for example, have their government leaders, the Supreme leader tweeting crazy things on the platform uh, that are considered discriminatory and offensive. But a lot of them, while these people were in charge, a lot of those tweets stayed on the platform. And then people like President Trump, former President Trump, were getting suppressed on the platform. And so you have to wonder, like a lot of the members of the panel were asking about this, saying, well, how do you allow that kind of content, like the Iran leaders, and then you don't allow something from President Trump? And they're not really, you know, they really have an answer for that. Um, they're not getting into the specific tweets. They just are acknowledging that, yeah, those things are were allowed on the platform. And other things like some of President Trump's content was not allowed on the platform. So people are really seeing, I think, up close, uh, the bias that can happen uh, at these um, big tech companies. The dual system of justice was a big issue. I think today people walked away. There was a dual system of censorship. Marjorie Taylor Greene seemed to have that moment where he said, you censored my account, but you let child pornography go on. What's wrong with you people? Didn't get a very good answer, but I think was able to accentuate that different standards were applied to Republicans and conservatives and Democrats and liberals. What's next, Nick? What should be looking for as this investigation moves into its next phase? I think there's going to be some overlap with other uh, committees. So if you look at the weaponization of the federal government committee with uh, Congressman Massey uh, being a key part of that, leading it, I think you're going to see more of what's happening at Twitter now. They're going to try to dig into more of, you know, look, we, we have on the record now a lot of what happened when these execs were in charge today, and there's going to be follow-up hearings in a couple different committees, not just oversight, but to find out exactly how things are changing uh, at these platforms, specifically Twitter now. And I think we might see more hearings uh, with other companies like you know, Facebook or uh, Google execs to try to find out uh, how they're handling content management, knowing what went down at uh, Twitter during the 2020 election. Yeah, pretty, pretty extraordinary. Nick, great work last night on the State of the Union. Great work again today on this very important Twitter hearing. The first of many tomorrow. House Judiciary takes a crack at it. Sounds like we're going to have a lot more coming on that front, aren't we? We really are. Uh, stay tuned, right? That's amazing. Well, we know we're in good hands with your coverage each day. So thanks for your great writing on the site and uh, all your hard work. The late night last night, turning around, coming back this morning. And of course, for this very great update, really great moment. We'll be checking in with you again tomorrow, pretty sure. All right. Thanks for having me on again, John. Appreciate it. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, a great conversation about a great moment in the State of the Union involving energy independence. We'll have that right after this. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. 
Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. All right, folks, welcome back to the commercial break. As I mentioned at the top of the show, there were a lot of amazing moments last night in the State of the Union Address. One of them, I don't think I'm going to forget anytime soon because the president of the United States sat up at the podium and related a story that he allegedly had with oil industry executives and said, hey, listen, we're going to need oil for about 10 years. People started laughing in the room. I've never seen a president laugh at in the State of the Union this way. Everybody knows oil and gas is going to be here for a much longer period of that. There's no scenario in which I could have. But our president actually said it with a straight face. I know exactly who we should talk to next. Let's go right to the president of the U.S. Oil and Gas Association, our good friend, Tim Stewart. Tim, great to have you back on the show. Great to be here, John. And, and uh, uh, that was one of those moments for the ages, wasn't it? It was quite interesting to see that reaction. It was. I know Democrats are excited about the Green Revolution. They have spent $6, $7 trillion. They really haven't created a revolution. We're still only 3% of power production from the windmills and solar there. Obviously, they have a role, but it's not a big role. This president said it. I don't think he even understood that they weren't laughing with him. They were laughing at him. Everybody I've talked to, you see Jamie Dimon saying, hey, it's going to be here a long time. The energy secretary said it's going to be here a long time. How can the president be so disconnected from the reality of the energy economy? Well, you know, it, the, the media was reporting that that was uh, he went off script and that was an unscripted moment. And you could tell that it was uh, okay. it was one of those one of those flash moments where he said he had remembered a conversation with CEOs that they'd had and just sort of really sort of went off script. And, and as you know, in a state of the union dress, it's the unscripted moments, are the ones that remember and resonate in people's minds. I, to be honest with you, I was I was fine, and so I I had that tender mercy of not having to have to sit through a three-hour State of the Union event. But when I landed at 11 o'clock last night at Dulles Airport, my phone was blowing up. You know, it was really interesting to see the reaction there. And the reality is, you know, the president is says, yeah, we're going to need it for 10 years. We're going to need it for 30 years, 40 years, 50 years. His own Energy Information Association, or, or sorry, agency says that you know they they make projections of, of fossil fuel uh investment and requirements well past 2050 so the president you know maybe I've, i'm set to retire in 10 years or so so at least i've got some breathing room it sounds like he's giving me some breathing room so we'll take that right? <laughs> yeah we'll have a lot more runway than that because the economy listen it's just not possible to make the sort of transition they're talking about without decades more. And I think all the reasonable people are now saying that, but he just had this moment and it, it just struck me that if you're sitting at home, you just knew that wasn't true. You're like, Oh my God, what are you saying? That's yeah. Not yeah. And I think that reaction, you know, from both, both sides of the aisle there, they it, it caught everybody off guard and it was really one of those funny unscripted moments. I think, I mean, I can't speak cause I wasn't in those meetings with those CEOs that the president had, but I think what he he was 
trying to reinterpret what they were telling him, which is you cannot you cannot beat us up for high energy prices and a slow investment uh, rollout when you are telling us that you're going to make us go away in five years. So those CEOs are saying, Mr. President, if I'm going to invest $2 billion in refinery, I need 20, 25, 30 years. That's that's the, right. the recapture rate. And that's what they told him. And I think he, in his brain, he probably said, well, it's going to be at least 10 years. And he went off script. And frankly, we're, at least he sort of said the, the quiet part out loud, didn't he? He did. He did. And it gives us a sense of the of the irrational sort of exuberance, if I can use an old Alan Greenspan term, that the green movement that has President Biden captured has. I mean, they actually think this is achievable. And that gets me to the next thing I want to talk about. You and I had a great offline conversation. I was absolutely amazed by this. So the alternative to the combustion engine, of course, is the electric vehicle. And, you know, Tesla makes a nice car and people are looking at it. But our grid and the, the general commercial capabilities of a lot of the new electric cars are years, if not decades away from being really mass consumer products. You went out recently and got an electric car, didn't you? I did. It was one of those ideas that you, you sort of make and then you regret almost immediately. I thought it'd be a good <laughs> idea. If the president of the S oil and gas association drove an EV so he could talk with some authority. And it turns out it's one of those things that you're going to regret for years. It's kind of like last time I did it was 13 years ago when I, I will, got my kids a Jack Russell Terrier and I'm still paying for it 13 years after the fact. <laughs> but yeah, but, um, yeah so it, there's, if I could give you a little bit of story of backfill on that, it's kind of interesting. You know, I have a horrendously long commute, as you know. During the end of COVID, my family, we fled the D.C. suburbs for my hometown out in Utah. We had to get our kids out of the Virginia school system, which is a whole other conversation which you and I could have. But in August of 21, I started to commute cross-country for work. And that required a 90-minute drive to the airport and then get on a plane. And I, I do that almost every week. And at the time, I thought it would be good for me to get a – maybe an EV would be a good long-distance vehicle for me to commute in. And I learned in the first two weeks that that was not a viable option. And so, unfortunately, my wife now finds herself driving it as a primary vehicle. We learned some really, really hard lessons. And, and, and as part of that is the infrastructure is not there either, particularly on a long-distance drive – but locally, it's not there as well. And, um, you know, we're just learning some really interesting lessons right now. Uh, it, you know, Utah's a cold weather climate. And I was just checking this morning. I checked because I, you can see it on your app uh, that you have. Uh, and I'm looking right now, and at a 79% charge, which is what she's got, the range is only 155 miles. Imagine wow. if you would having a third of it or three quarters of a tank of gas and knowing you can only go 155 miles. That's like taking my 2017 Explorer and it's equivalent of less than 10 miles per gallon. I'm not saving anything from this ownership. Yeah. So I could go on and on and on if you want, but uh, it's been a really interesting and somewhat frustrating experience. It really, I mean, there are two things. Uh, I, we were recently on vacation and one of our colleagues had an electric car just bought and he had run it down quite a bit before he got to our house. And then we wanted to go up to the gym and say, wait, I got charged. And then go yeah. try to find a charging spot. It was hard. We had like go six places. Oh, we finally found one. Then you got to wait an hour. Right. It was a real inconvenience. And again, that, you know, I, I'm sure the technologies are going to get better, but we're not there yet. And I, I think that gets to a point that I hear from so many everyday Americans, which is the president has a utopian vision for this, but it isn't grounded in the reality. If you want an electric vehicle future, you got to build the infrastructure before you put the cars in the market 
the cart is like two before the horse, I think, in this one. How do we unwind that? What is your industry doing to try to create bridges so that if they do get to an EV future, it finally works, but in the meantime, we have a responsible energy supply? Well, that's a, again, that's a great point. Now, I can rest easy at night, theoretically, because my local utility provider out there in Utah uh, it has a 76% fossil fuel base load. So when I'm charging my EV, I'm actually using natural gas, so I can feel good about that, right? Yeah, um, right. Couple th- couple things on infrastructure. It's really interesting. And the things that I learned, which were which was uh, infrastructure, it extends almost from the dealer experience to everything else. You know, we had this. We on the, when the, that idea first, uh, you know, initiated itself. It was six months before the the, the Congress passed the IRA bill, and supply right. chain issues slowed down the delivery of that vehicle. And I ended up having paying for it two days after the IRA bill was passed, which meant. The, the vehicle didn't qualify for the tax credits anymore. So that was right off the table. And I imagine there are probably tens of thousands of, of new EV owners who found themselves in the same situation that I did. Went to leave the, the dealership and I said, hey, by the way, the, the, the level two charger that, that for the home, I, where do I get that from you guys? And, they, and the dealer said, well, we don't have those. And I said, well, how am I supposed to charge this thing? And the dealer said, well, I guess you could bring it here, but where do people buy these then? Well, you buy them off Amazon. I actually had to buy my, my level two charger at home off of Amazon. It came a week later. Because the dealer didn't have it, right? The dealer didn't have it. They weren't ready to support the infrastructure. And again, they're good guys, but they just weren't ready. They, this yeah. is not, they're, they're used to selling gasoline vehicles, right? So call the electrician. He has to come and rewire the garage to 240, Okay. So there's the additional expense there on top of that. But the really interesting thing, John, was when he was doing this, he said, he says, look, I want to show you something. He goes, he says, you see that transformer on the telephone pole in front of your house? He said, that's a 10 kilowatt transformer. That translates into 40 amp capacity. He says, this level two charger that I'm installing for you is 40 amps. He goes, so don't run your dishwasher or your washing machine or anything else when you're charging the thing because you may end up. Oh, my God. And shut your whole goes, house down. Shut the whole house <laughs> down. And he goes, and frankly, says in the subdivision the, the, up the street, so they all share a 25K uh, transform. That's 104 amps. And says only three out of five houses there could ever charge their cars. So that's, you know, it's local infrastructure. It's long-distance infrastructure. And we're just not there. And so when the president says, going back to, his, you know, we've got 10 years, we got a lot longer than that because the infrastructure requirements are just going to roll for 20, 25 years. My industry is ready to provide all the power necessary, all the natural gas to create the electricity. We're happy to do that. But, you know, they're going to need us for a long, long time. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And uh, last night on the TV show, we had Rich Powell on from ClearPath. And obviously, he's a, a conservationist. But he said, listen, the only way that anyone can achieve the sort of targets that Barack Obama and Joe Biden have been talking about for a decade and a half, spending $6 trillion and not getting there is, you got to use natural gas and nuclear to bring down carbon emissions if that's your goal. That's the only commercially viable way. And natural gas is here for a long time to stay. It seems as though the president's big fupa aside last night that responsible people in the Republican Party and some of the Democratic Party are beginning to realize that that's the path. And let's stop selling people this mirage and let's get on to some path that actually makes sense for people. Do you feel like the president aside and the, you know, the extreme green movement aside that there are some in the middles of the parties now ready to have a real energy discussion? 
You know, it's interesting you raise that because I, I broke out of a, a committee hearing on the House side on, on energy to, to jump on to talk with you. And I've been watching sort of both sides do their line of questioning to these, to these industry, energy industry witnesses. And it seems like at least snapshot in time, this little piece of the landscape, that some of these, the, the Democrats are willing to at least entertain the fact that maybe they've been sold somewhat of a bill of goods and there's there's some other alternative realities they probably want to join. AOC is not one of them, of course. She's on that resources right, committee. But, but there are, you know, they may want to leave their reality and come and join ours because, uh, you know, we've got it right. So uh, I, I'm yeah. somewhat hopeful, but, you know, I've been in Washington 30 years and my hopes have been dashed numerous times. And so, I hold out hope, but also prepare to be wholly disappointed as well. Yeah, I think the trust but verify. I think we had to get to that sort yeah. of thing. I hear more responsible people today talking the way, you know, five, ten years ago, you, you, there were two extremes. We're not doing anything on clean energy. We're going to do everything on clean energy. And neither one was a reasonable position. And, and I think now as people see the effects of the Biden economy on gas prices and on uh, heating prices, I think people are waking up. If not, their constituents are waking them up to get yeah. to a more obvious consensus and natural gas plus nuclear definitely feels like something that people are beginning to rally around. We haven't had a chance to talk since this happened, but, and it isn't technically an energy issue because its motivation was allegedly personal health, but the Biden administration toyed with a couple of days before they got overrun by the steamroller public sentiment that it was time to get rid of people natural gas. Does. I don't know about you, I have an electric and a gas. The only one way to cook is on gas. Gas is the best way to cook. How big a mistake was that? And what is the long-term repercussions of the Biden administration showing their hand on that? Well, they, they showed their hand. Um, and the, the Washington press, John, you know, says, oh, well, they backpedaled. They're changing their minds. The reality is they isn't. The, you, you read all of the regulatory uh, actions that are coming out or pending. You look at how the the NGOs are pushing uh, with uh, a number of studies, and, and what do you do? You appeal to childhood health and asthma and issues like that. That's the that's a, this isn't issue isn't going away. And frankly, um, you know this is you want to talk about extended government reach right into your kitchen to tell you how you can and can't prepare your meals for your kids. It, it is a it is a massive problem, and it's not going away. And frankly, we've got to do something about it. And um, uh, I, I think the listeners, you know, this is not just a, it's not just a flash in the pan Washington issue. It's going to be around for a while. Nope. They got to be they got to be ready for that. I think they lost the volley, but they're going to have another one prepared. And if everyone remind everybody in the 90s, it was childhood asthma that became the probably that eventually led to the war on coal. And now it looks like they're adapting it to the war on gas. And they hit a very personal button when they did this. They you get inside people's kitchens and living rooms. They don't like you there. Such yeah. an amazing and moment. It really is. And again, you know, uh, you've got lots of listeners and, you know, this is something that is going to get right into their own personal life. And I'd hope that they'd yeah. be willing to stand up and take some action, you know, and hope there's a vehicle for that to take place. That has to. I mean, people have to say out of my kitchen, get your hands off my grill, get your hands off my stove. Let me cook. I've got a family. By the way. Natural gas has been around for years. It, it, it's never, ever created a problem for people cooking in their homes. Mm -hmm. I appreciate you raising that because, you know, we, we oftentimes uh, get up fighting other issues about how do you actually produce something. The question is, is when, when you regulate how somebody, how somebody actually uses the product that you, that you create, that's a whole other challenge, set of challenges for our industry. We're going to become more engaged in this for sure.
Yeah, no, it's such an important thing. Now that the president, you know, got caught in his own mousetrap by going off script and making a proclamation that no one on either side of the aisle believed, what is the proper thing? What does the industry want to tell President Biden? Because you guys are good actors. Even with a hostile president and his policies, you guys did everything you could. The industry did everything it could to try to help bring down gas prices that were caused by his mistakes. What is it that the industry wants to tell the president? What is the point of engagement where he could actually help Americans get a more secure energy future from the one he robbed from us a couple of years ago? Well, you know, again, I think industry, if I were to send that message to the president, I would say, Mr. President, you need more of everybody. If you want to grow this economy, you've got to have affordable energy, and that's going to require everybody. That's not just my industry, but that's nuclear, that's renewables, that's everybody. And so stop trying to pick winners and losers and stop trying to tell the American families what they can and what type of energy they can and can't use. Uh, try and try and foster a regulatory and a legislative environment that allows everybody to prosper and everybody to grow and everybody to produce the type of energy that they're trying to produce. Frankly, if, if we reached parity on that, uh, that would make our industry happy. We could keep going, you know, um, and that's a clear message to Wall Street. It's in a clear message to our consumers. It's in a clear message to the Washington infrastructure and the, and the swamp here. And that's really just more of everybody would be probably the best message and the most sort of middle of the road message I'd like to send to the president. It's a message that also sends a word out to Russia and OPEC and some of our adversaries that we're being smart again, we're being strong again. And it always seems like we get better deals in the Middle East when we're producing our own oil and gas. The Middle East reacts to us in a better way. And I think we learned that in the Trump era with the Abraham Accords. It's um, no, a yeah, yeah. geopolitical tool. It allows you to negotiate from a position of strength. And um, yeah. that's the that's a mistake that the administration's made for the last two years. Well, one thing I know of, our uh, listeners are a lot better informed because we get a chance to talk to you every so often, Tim. Uh, last night was such an amazing moment. I couldn't wait to talk to you today. But thank you for everything you're doing to educate the public about what's really going on, not the fluffery we get on the, on the news media. This is real honest talk. And I think Americans really appreciate all of your straight talk on, on energy policy. It's a great, great a service to our country. Well, it's always a pleasure to join in. You ask great questions and you are you are straightforward and that's what we need to hear. So I appreciate you inviting me yeah. on, John. I really do. All right, Tim, we'll be back with you soon because I have a funny feeling Joe Biden ain't done with uh, his war on energy. We'll have to see what happens. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Thank we'll you, my friend. to talking to you. Thanks. Bye. All right, folks, we take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back after these messages. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 
All right, folks, that wraps up another edition of John Solomon Reports, a podcast from Just the News. So grateful you can join. A big thank you to so many of the guests today, John Bolton, Tim Stewart, two really provocative conversations with a lot of information. And of course, a live report from that extraordinary hearing going on in Capitol Hill about Twitter, watching the Twitter executives try to explain their censorship, their biases, kind of historic moments in the history of this debate over censorship and free speech in America. We're so grateful you can check in with us today and took the time to listen to us. Grateful to the guests for joining us and giving us so much information. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of John Solomon Report, but I got a big tease for you. Tonight, if you have time, tune in to the Just the News No Noise television show on Real America's Voice, 6 o'clock tonight. Amanda Head and I, we're going to have an interview with an exclusive new FBI whistleblower. He just went to Congress yesterday. We got him on the show today. His story of potential abuses in the January 6th investigation are stunning. Now, there are allegations, but they've been made under protection of whistleblower laws and under threat of perjury to Congress. We're going to get the latest on that. Tune in to that tonight. It is an extraordinary moment. Uh, we're going to break some news. We'll have a story on that as well. You'll want to tune in. All right, folks, thanks for spending time with John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition. Of course, go to justthenews.com 24-7 or pull out your Just the News Apple Android apps and read us all the time. We've got you covered on breaking news somewhere tonight. We will break that story about the FBI whistleblower. You don't want to miss it. The interview is going to be amazing. All right, thanks, folks. We'll be back tomorrow. God bless you. Have a good night. Folks, everyone knows the next medical crisis is just around the corner. Whether it comes in the form of a pandemic or something much more mundane like a tick bite, you and your family need to be prepared. That's what we learned from this last pandemic, right? That's where the wellness company comes in. You know the wellness company. We have their great doctors like Dr. Peter McCullough on all the time on our shows. The wellness company and their doctors are medical professionals that you can trust. And the new medical emergency kits are the gold standard when it comes to keeping you safe and healthy, and most importantly, prepared. Be ready for anything. This medical emergency kit contains an assortment of life-saving medications, including ivermectin and z The medical emergency kit provides a guidebook to aid in the safe use of all of these life-saving medications. So you know what you're doing. From anthrax to tick bites to COVID and even the bioweapon like the plague, the wellness company's medical emergency kit is exactly what you need to have on hand to be prepared. Rest assured knowing that you have emergency antibiotics, antivirals, and antiparasitics on hand to keep you and your family safe from whatever the globalists show your way. Go to www.twchealth/justnews today in order. That's twc.health/justnews and use the promo code justnews to save 10%. Hey there, it's Amanda Head, and I am thrilled to introduce to you my new exciting podcast, Furthermore, with Amanda Head, broadcasting weekly from sunny Los Angeles, California, and brought to you by the dynamic Just the News Podcast Network. On this fresh and engaging podcast, I delve into the latest news with a little bit of a twist, exploring the furthermore of every story. But this isn't your typical run-of-the-mill news commentary or politically charged program. I interview a diverse range of guests, including business leaders, entertainers, musicians, educators, experts, politicians, and many influential figures from both the United States and around the world. So why not make your Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays a little more interesting? 
Tune in on your preferred podcast platform and discover furthermore with Amanda Head on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And don't forget to hit that follow or subscribe button and be sure to download the latest episodes. I can't wait to have you join me on this exciting journey. Oh, 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 o